You're listening to Local Government Insights, a podcast for state and local governments. If you're looking to optimize operations, improve services for your constituents, and maximize revenue without raising taxes, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Local Government Insights podcast, Modernizing Government Leadership, your source and insight for local government technology. My name is Brendan Middleton, and today we're going to be speaking with Matt Hawksworth, Finance Director for the City of Pasadena, California, about the different areas of impact COVID-19 has had on the city and how his team has shifted priorities to help balance ever-increasing budget deficits. Matt, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, for those listening, Matt has been the finance director for the city of Pasadena, California since 2015. Prior to serving Pasadena, he was the assistant city manager for Rosemead, California, overseeing finance, HR, public works, technology, and risk management departments. And previously, he was the finance director and and treasurer for the city of Claremont, California for three years and worked in a variety of positions for the city of El Monte, California for over nine years. Super excited about Matt's perspective today. Obviously, has a long history of experience in local government and should bring a lot of insights for us uh, discussing the last uh, 12 to 18 months of impact that uh, COVID has had on so many jurisdictions. So, Matt, before we get started, would you tell us a little bit more about the city of Pasadena, California, and sort of set the stage for our discussion today? Sure. Uh, City of Pasadena, we are a, in the big picture, we're a medium-sized city, uh, 140,000 145 maybe thousand residents um i know across the nation that's a pretty big city but in california that's a a medium-sized city uh we're obviously most famous for the rose parade that we play host to january 1st every year uh, or the virtual parade as we did this last year uh, and the rose bowl game Um, but pasadena is a unique city in that we're a full service city uh, and we're a full service plus we often call it city because we do a lot of things that your average 145,000 resident city doesn't. Uh, we obviously have the stadium, we have a convention center, we have an ice rink, uh, we have two 18-hole golf courses, we have our own public health department, we have a robust housing department, we have our own electric utility and power plant, water utility, wow. refuse service, uh, for all residential customers, and then all the normal public services like police and fire and building and planning and things like that. So we're a robust city. Our total budget is uh, about 750 to $800 million a year. So that's wow. a pretty large budget for a yeah. city of 145,000 people. Yeah. Excellent. So obviously full service, lot, lots of different areas that could have been impacted by the unexpected COVID-19. And that's where I want to talk about today, Matt. Um, Across the country, as you know, cities have experienced massive budget cuts and shortfalls all across the board. Um, I'd like to hear from your perspective, what's some of the main areas that the city of Pasadena has dealt with and how are they affected? And I'd love to just get your perspective on a lot of the different areas that you were just talking about just a moment ago and how they've been affected by COVID-19. Yes, thank you. Uh, It's been a challenging 18 months for us as it has been for everyone across the world. Uh, It's interesting when going back and looking at my notes and emails from what we were doing in March a year ago and how things have changed. 
Uh, one of the things that we easily forget is when COVID first hit and everybody went in that initial two, uh, initial two week quarantine, businesses closed down, we were just gonna be peaceful for a couple weeks. Uh, <laughs> the economic and investment market was turned upside down. Uh, there was a brief you know, crash in the market. Uh, and for us, what impacted us most specifically was short-term interest rates spiked through the roof. Uh, so we uh, short-term weekly reset rates were in the you know one to two percent, and suddenly they were in the fourteen to fifteen percent range. Uh, and our convention center has variable rate demand bonds, which means the interest rate resets every week. So the interest rate on those bonds uh, changed dramatically. Um, yeah. So little things like that garnered a lot of our attention and focus in the first few weeks. Uh, thankfully, the interest rates, the market reset, rebounded yeah. incredibly. Um, yeah. But but for three or four weeks, that was all consuming. Sure. Uh, obviously, the immediate shutdown of our convention center, our stadium, at the time our golf courses, our ice rink, all of those public amenities uh, had a huge impact on the city and the community. Uh, the convention center and the stadium combined have an annual debt service of about $25 million wow. and with no revenue coming in, mm -hmm. uh, there was obviously serious concern about how are we going to make this debt service payment? And of course, initially we thought three months we'll have events and then six months we'll have an event. And then, you know, now we're a year later and we still haven't really had any major <laughs> events at these facilities. Mm -hmm. uh, the convention center's debt is largely paid by the transient occupancy tax from hotel stays. And yeah. um, most of our business, most of our hotel travel is business related. Uh, we're not really a tourist destination other than the parade, you know, once a year or a major concert or event at the stadium. But the day to day, it's it's business travel or convention center travel. Um, thankfully, they had good reserves and, and could manage it. Um, the stadium didn't have as robust reserves. And so we had to evaluate how we were going to keep them afloat. Uh, and then our, the city having its own public health department, we're one of only a handful of cities in California that does their own public health. And our public health department does tremendous work. Um, you know, they do the obvious things that people see all the time. They rate and inspect restaurants and food establishments. Yeah. Uh, they run programs for infant health care and pregnant uh, pregnancy things and, and AIDS programs and a whole variety of wonderful things that they do. Um, and public health and pandemic is something that they look at, but we don't spend a tremendous amount of time or energy doing that on a day-to-day -day basis. And that right. suddenly became the focus and they didn't have enough staff. So we had to pivot and dedicate a number of staff working in other departments and other assignments to the public health function. So yeah. in the finance department, we have two full-time staff members that have been in public health for almost a year supporting them, uh, doing things like contact tracing and scheduling vaccines and a whole variety of things. And then Pasadena has a very large restaurant industry in Pasadena. We are somewhat known for our dining. And so restaurant closures and sending all the office workers home uh, meant there were no people in town during the week. 
to dine at the restaurants. Uh, and then we have a big parking authority. We own a number or uh, parking department. We own a number of parking garages and on-street parking lots and things like that. And that revenue disappeared overnight, uh, yeah. creating a lot of challenges for us. So um, that's just some of the big things that that we've had <laughs> to work through in the last the last year to 18 months. Yeah, lots lots of variables, obviously. Um, I'd like to hear kind of your unique approach to um, dealing with some of these effects um, to, to the extent you can, some of the big rocks, some of the big decisions in the process by which you made those decisions. Um, how, how did you combat all these effects of each of uh, each of these areas kind of that you mentioned? And what were the what were the outcomes of those? I know that's ongoing, but what were some of the outcomes, if you wouldn't mind sharing? Definitely. Uh, I'd say the outcomes were largely impacted by our financial position. The city was in a good financial position going into this, mm -hmm. um, and that really helped us make decisions. Um, kudos to our elected officials in Pasadena. We have eight elected officials, seven, yeah. seven council members and a directly elected mayor. Uh, kudos to them. They uh, acted expeditiously on things but also uh, appropriately on things. Um, we pivoted and started doing things like food security, um, but we didn't try to spin up our own food banks. We partnered with food banks and churches and nonprofit organizations in the city, and we provided them food or money and resources so that they could do their job better or increase their capacity, but we didn't try to step in to a role that we didn't really have a place in because that's not our yeah. expertise. Um, so we jumped into a lot of these things. Uh, the, the, the convention center, for example, they uh, spun up their kitchen and they were providing hot meals. And so they were, they were helping the school district to continue to provide the meal program for their students um, because the district's food services had closed down. And then the city stepped in and continued to pro provide those student meals on the weekends when the district wouldn't normally provide meals. Uh, the stadiums also has a robust uh, uh, food uh, capability and they did the same thing. So between the convention center and the stadium, we leveraged those tools. Yeah. Um, the stadium has large parking lots. So we ran, uh, we operated testing sites we operated uh, a FEMA trailer village, so to speak, to allow essential workers to quarantine in a safe place if they couldn't go home. Uh, yeah. The convention center, once things or the stadium, once things started reopening, uh, they began hosting drive-ins, drive-in entertainment, drive-in movies. Um, so we tried to do as much as we could to leverage some of these things and pivot um, to help them things. Having our own public health department at least in Southern California, we got a lot of press um, because we're only one of two cities really in Southern California, Pasadena and Long Beach that have their own public health departments. So while we had we couldn't be less restrictive than the state's guidelines, we yeah. could be more restrictive. Um, and in some cases, it was appropriate for us to be more restrictive. Uh, but then sometimes and we were allowed to be the county chose to be more restrictive and we chose not to be more restrictive. We chose to follow the state guidelines and the county of LA chose to follow their own more restrictive guidelines. Yeah. Uh, so we got a lot of press for that. 
Um, and most of it was pretty positive because at one point we allowed our restaurants to stay open when restaurants in LA County had to close. Um, so we've tried to do a number of things. The other big thing that really helped us is our local voters approved a three quarter cent or three quarter percent uh, sales tax measure shortly before the pandemic. Um, so we'd been collecting revenue for six or seven months and uh, again, going back to the council and their prudent decisions, they were allocating at least a third of that towards capital projects. Well, that was about eight and a half million dollars that we suddenly yeah. had the flexibility to put a hold on projects and divert that money elsewhere where it was needed or to offset revenues like the hotel revenue that was disappearing overnight. So that that um, extra sales tax revenue was a huge help for us financially to, to weather this storm as well. Got it. Yeah, and talk about offsetting deficits. Um, the, one of the hot topics and one of the topics that were addressed by many at the onset was the use of reserves when you're trying to forecast into future quarters with the unknown uh, at hand. Um, I'd be interested to hear your approach or your team's approach to to using reserves throughout this whole process. Like, Matt, could you share any insights as to kind of how you determined what to use reserves on and further like how to prioritize because they only go so far and you're, you don't know how long this is going to last and we're starting to climb out of it. And we've got some positive things happening in terms of the vaccine and things opening up across the country in various capacities, but th there's still a bit of an unknown. Like how, how did you go about using reserves and what was your prioritization like? Reserves, as I mentioned earlier, uh, were a key component for us, um, and thankfully we're pretty fiscally conservative. So um, all of our funds, various funds, you know, I mentioned all the operations that we're involved in, uh, do have reserve policies. Their general fund is which most cities talk about. Our general fund reserve policy is uh, a total of 20%, which is a 5% operating reserve and a 15% emergency reserve. Um, and the council made quick decision that they were willing to spend the 5% operating reserve on appropriate programs and outreaches, but they were going to really try to do whatever they could not to dip below um, that 5% or dig into the 15% reserve. Yeah. Um, because the idea was that something else significant could happen and we don't want to spend all reserve. You know, we're in Southern California, an earthquake could happen. <laughs> and then we'd be dealing with a pandemic yeah. and an earthquake. So yeah. uh, they said from the beginning they were open to spending the 5% portion of the reserves, which for us, let's say it was 15 million. Um, we had some money in fund balance above and beyond that reserves so that gave us another couple million dollars of flexibility. Um, and then, like I said, we had this eight and a half million that was originally dedicated towards capital improvement that we could divert back into operational support as well. So in the yeah. end, we probably... Uh, had about 25 million to play with up front in terms of making discretionary decisions to do things or not do things. Right. Um, the council was very careful about not uh, not getting into the business of something, as I mentioned earlier. So we didn't get into the business of food banks. We helped support banks, uh, support food banks um, and food security. So we directed some of that money and resources to those agencies. Yeah. Um, we, knowing that the stadium wasn't going to be able to operate, uh, we quickly determined that we were going, that we meaning the city's general fund, 
yeah. we're going to have to step in and cover the Rose Bowl's debt service payment for the fiscal year, which was uh, about $11.5 million. Wow. And so we knew that we were going to have to take $11.5 million of those dollars and make a debt service payment. Um, mm -hmm. Pasadena is a AAA rated city. Um, we're proud of that credit rating. And yeah. we weren't going to default on our bonds when we had money in the bank or make late payments um, because that's not the right thing to do. Um, so we used a bunch of the reserves for that. Uh, the convention center, as I mentioned, between the little bit of TOT that they were getting, that TOT meaning the hotel tax, um, and then their reserves, we knew that they should be solvent for at least two years. So we knew that they didn't have the urgency in financial help that the stadium did. So that helped us yeah. um, sort of balance those reserves. And then we got involved in some other things. We, we worked with the Pasadena Community Foundation, which is a nonprofit in Pasadena. Um, they did some fundraising. We contributed money and we offered small business grants um, to help businesses uh, stay open. Um, we provided an incredible amount of support for on-street and outdoor dining. Um, Pasadena had, a, I'd say, a pretty small outdoor dining um, atmosphere in town, and most of it was already contained in the properties yeah. of an individual restaurant. So um, we've got a number of alleyways in town allowing the restaurants to um, create seating and dining in these alleyways, to expand onto some of the sidewalks, in some cases, we um, we closed off the on-street parking spaces and allowed them to expand into the street. Uh, we had not, never done any of that kind of stuff before, and we spun all that up, and we did that to the extent we could at no cost to the restaurants. So we covered the cost of the K-rails or the barriers that went in the street. We waived all the fees for the permits related to on-street dining we didn't charge them for inspections or all these things. So the city absorbed all those costs. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, um, the public health component. Um, FEMA, you know, the federal organization, they were issuing new guidance and new rules on a weekly basis about what they would and wouldn't pay for as far as a FEMA reimbursable program. And so Early on, we just had decided that we're going to do what we have to do in the best interest of our residents and businesses and community members. And so the council never let FEMA reimbursement being the determining factor of if we would actually do something or not. Again, we'd spend reserves if we had to spend reserves on it. Yeah. Um, and we didn't stress about whether or not FEMA was going to pay us back for it. Um, and contact tracing is a good example. Uh, a number of months into this response, FEMA issued um, a notice that they believed contact tracing was no longer a reimbursable expense, but we needed to continue to do contact tracing for people that tested positive. So we just believed that unless we found a grant or something else, we'd have to absorb that cost of doing contact tracing. Yeah. Um, and so it's 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 been um, good. But as I mentioned, the big thing is, is we didn't, we tried not to get into a new business that would create an ongoing expense, expense for the future that we wouldn't have ongoing funding to support. 
Got it. Excellent. And I'm glad you touched on the restaurant aspect because, you know, uh, many of our listeners may not know this, but the city of Pasadena has more restaurants per capita than many of the largest cities in the country, often kind of referred to as a restaurant mecca. So I'm glad you spoke about how you went about addressing some of the closures and the difference in uh, style by which they were serving their customers with the on-street dining and how, how that was impacted and how the city uh, contributed to that. Um, Matt, just from a, a small business perspective, and if you look at it from a small business trends, like what are you seeing right now in terms of as things are opening back up? Like what areas do you see returning quicker than others? Are there other business types of businesses not coming back? What what are you what are you doing from a city perspective or seeing from the city's perspective as things start to open back up? What areas do you see returning faster than others? Well, I would say that uh, restaurants and dining is a mixed bag. Uh, if you come into town, we have a, a section of town called Old Pasadena. We have a section of town called South Lake. They're business districts. Um, if you go th through there in the evening, the parking lots are full. The parking garages are full. Uh, the dining seems to be pretty robust. People seem very interested in in dining and going out again. And so that's great. The restaurants that did survive and are able to support that seem to be doing pretty well from an outsider's perspective. Um, but we've got a lot of storefronts where the restaurants didn't make it and those storefronts are closed. And um, I don't think that those storefronts are going to reopen quickly um, because in order for those new restaurants to come back, they're probably going to need the economic reality that they'll have to be able to be at 100% capacity for indoor dining and maybe even some new capacity for outdoor dining. Um, the other thing that, that I think is still a constraint on our restaurants is the lunchtime crowd. Pasadena has a real downtown. We have high-rise office buildings. We have a very large professional office workforce uh, with major corporations. And those corporations are still largely working remotely or working from home. Yeah. And those businesses were responsible for a lot of the lunchtime business of our restaurants. So until, until they repopulate the office, our restaurants are really going to struggle during the lunch hours. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that we've heard from our restaurants, especially in, in our old Pasadena area, is conventions and convention center business largely supported lunchtime because people might not want to eat the sandwich offered at the convention. They'd rather go to a restaurant in town. And That's eat. right. That's um, right. And so until convention center business can pick up to full steam again and until the office business repopulates, um, our restaurants are still going to be challenged um, because they can't most of them can't survive just on a dinner business they need you know a full lunch afternoon sure. happy hour dinner business throughout the day um so that's that's a big deal for them and then i think that we're we're looking at things differently and uh i believe that in certain areas where it's appropriate we'll continue to support the on-street dining and the usage of some of the alleyways and things for dining that we probably would have never considered before this um, and that's nice. And it's the right time of year in Southern California. It's spring. The weather's yep. good. Um, it's not 100 plus degrees yet in the afternoon. So people want to <laughs> sit outside and enjoy, you know, enjoy the outside. So that's good. Um, and then Pasadena's been fortunate to have some new businesses open up. We had 
a new Home Depot opened up about a month ago. So um, that's going to be good for the local economy. It brought in new jobs. Um, it brought in some new activation to an area that hadn't been activated in a while. Yeah. Um, so we're seeing some good things like that as well. Excellent. Yeah, Matt, if we could shift gears a little bit, I know in recent weeks, um, the discussion has really been around the American Rescue Plan and some of the funding, the federal government's funding that is become now available for states and localities to, to help with a lot of the issues and challenges that we're both talking about today. Um, could you shed a little light on that? I know you talked about discussing commitments you already had um, that you had to make up for last last year with a lot of the closures of the stadium and the convention. How do you foresee the American Rescue Plan supporting the city of Pasadena specifically? Uh, the American Rescue Plan is is incredible. It's something that we in local government have never seen before. Um, yeah. and, and so that's going to be a tremendous asset to everyone. Uh, the initial focus for the American Rescue Plan was largely on the money that local government was getting. Mm -hmm. uh, so Pasadena, we believe, will get somewhere around $52 million in direct funding. Uh, and that is terrific. Um, and so far, there's some big guiding principles of how we can use that money, but it's not right. doesn't appear to be overly restrictive. Um, so that's tremendous. The city has between lost revenue and um, fronted money for a number of the programs that we pre I previously shared. Um, that already totals more than $70 million for Pasadena. So uh, $52 million has to be kept in perspective for the amount of money that we spent. Sure. Um, but in looking at the American Rescue Plan, there are so many other things that will directly benefit Pasadena um, through the other things that are going, whether it's uh, the rental assistance programs, the utility assistance payment programs. Um, there's going to be more avenues for businesses to access um, small business loans and grants and if they missed the uh some of the other programs some of those other programs are being refunded so that things like the the paycheck protection program there's new avenues to get that money um yep. there's the shuttered venues which pasadena has a number of shutter venues including our civic auditorium and a, and a number of small um theaters and and and, and uh music venues um so there's a number of programs that's not going to be run by the city but is put forward by the american rescue plan and so what we have to be very careful of is making sure that we don't use our direct money to fund the same thing that another program under the MS american right. rescue plan is already funding um, right. because we want to use our money to leverage to fill in the gaps that the American Rescue Plan, another program might not touch on, and then we want to backfill that gap Got it. rather than trying to fill the same gap. And that's going to be challenging for us because um, whether it's a resident, whether it's a business owner, it's far easier for them to come to our council meeting and ask our council to give them money to support something than jumping through all the hoops that might be required to get that same amount of money through an American Rescue Plan program. But right. We're really trying to help businesses and residents look to those other programs first and make sure that we've exhausted those other resources before we use our money to do the same thing. Got it. Makes total sense. 
a lot of complexities there certainly to consider and not double counting uh, when you're trying to juggle so many different things and other areas of the plan may help in double spending. Um, so thanks thanks for that, Matt. Um, one other last area that I'd love to just touch on, and I only bring it up today, and I know you're the finance director, but I bring it up today because it's just in, it's a top of mind for so many conversations that I'm having with so many local government leaders, and that's IT security. Um, it's a huge growing concern across the board for local governments, especially due to the, you know, related vulnerabilities, you know, related to work from home situations and, you know, this ever increasing ransomware attack, you know, news that comes out every week, it seems. Um, how, how, from your perspective, and I know it's from a finance related perspective, but how is the city addressing that ever increasing need to shore up its cybersecurity strategy? And how has COVID affected that conversation? Yes, IT security is um, was a concern for us before COVID and continues to be a concern for us. The city created uh, um, an IT security chief um, position a couple years ago um, to bring to the forefront the importance of IT security. We did not have a robust work from home or teleworking group before COVID. Yeah. So while a number of us could uh, VPN securely into the city's network to conduct work, maybe after hours or on the weekend, we didn't have a thousand users trying to log in all at once Monday through Friday to do their work. Yeah. So our IT department did a fantastic job spinning up a more robust way for us as staff to do our work regardless of where we were located. Um, and that, you know, that involved obtaining more licenses to do that, um, to create more bandwidth, internet data bandwidth to do that. Um, and then they're always evaluating whether or not services should be on premises or in the cloud. And so maybe if they're in the cloud, they're easier to access from home kind of thing. Um, but on top of that, the city has a robust cybersecurity training program. So all, yeah. all the employees have to regularly take online courses and tests and surveys to make sure that everybody is um, appropriately uh, staying up to date on everything. We send out uh, tests to employees that um, they don't know are tests. <laughs> yeah, to see if yeah, they're yeah. being reported appropriately or not reported appropriately, or if somebody clicks on a link they shouldn't have clicked on uh, kind of thing in an email. Uh, and then we as directors get reports from IT on that so we can uh, further our staff's development. So it's a combination of a bunch of things. Um, knock on wood, thankfully, we haven't been the victim of a major cyber attack like a number of government agencies. Um, but I can promise you that there are attempts every day. Sure. Um, and they're getting better every day. Yeah. Um, they're becoming more creative. Um, they're becoming more resourceful. And um, so we are constantly reminding our staff of the importance of following policies, following procedures, um, not deviating from those because um, it's tempting sometimes when you really want to help somebody out because you think you're doing the right thing. That's right. Um, that's right. And that's when you can get taken 
advantage of. And while we're not IT, as you pointed out at the beginning, uh, we are the finance department. <laughs> we, sure. You know, we control the funds, we control bank access, we control paychecks. That's right. We wire and, and write checks to vendors. Um, and so we get it from all different angles all the time. Yep. And that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to get your perspective on it, because I know that that is the, the backbone of, of any organization is, is the finance uh, related function. So thank you for sharing that, Matt. Um, to, to bring us home today, one of my last questions, I can't help after hearing your story and all these different challenges, all these different areas that the city has been impacted and how you guys have responded. The one word that comes to mind for me is is resiliency. And I hope hopefully you, you feel the same way. I love your unique perspective on a lot of these areas. Thank you so much for sharing your approach, which oftentimes we don't get a chance to to hear straight from the source as to what the approach has been to combat certain challenges, especially in this type of environment. So my question for you is like, what makes the city of Pasadena different? And why do you think the city, your city, the city of Pasadena has been so resilient through this time in all these different areas? Uh, I, I think that we are resilient for a number of reasons. Um, one, like I said before, at the very beginning, we're pretty conservative by nature. So while we step into a lot of businesses, maybe that your average city doesn't step into. Uh, mm -hmm. We're conservative in what we do and how we do it. And that conservative nature carries forward when there's emergencies or big things going on um, that our staff has developed a culture of remaining calm, remaining cool. Uh, we just keep this staff mentality of we will get through this. We've gotten through other things and we will get through this as well. Yeah. Um, staff is used to having to step to the plate. Um, I use that because baseball is back and I love baseball. <laughs> I'm so happy about that. Um, but our staff steps to the plate and is willing to mobilize and redirect their energy to whatever it needs to be done at that time. Like I said, we dedicated staff from every department across the city to public health functions suddenly. And people jumped in willingly to take on that role. We have staff every day that are serving in vaccination clinics, helping these drive-through vaccines happen. Again, stepping in to take on a role that they normally wouldn't do. Um, right. But that's the culture in Pasadena. Our city has been a city for more than 100 years. So it's a long developed culture um, of doing that. And then we have great elected officials that again remained calm and cool and collected they didn't panic they understood that we needed to be calculated in what we did and dedicate our resources to those things that were most critical and whether it was homeless shelters or food security uh, or testing or whatever it is but we jumped in we did it and then they constantly reminded us to be prepared for whatever's coming next yeah. Um, and so whether it was when the vaccination vaccinations finally get here, staff needs to be ready to reopen. We can't wait till vaccinations get here and then figure out how we're going to reopen. So yep. it was constantly thinking two weeks ahead of time, four weeks ahead of time, three months ahead of time. And just constantly that comes from the city manager's office and the council and everyone to just keep forward thinking 
um, and and that's that's big because then we don't we don't start drowning in the present because we're already thinking about where we're going in the future. Right. Awesome. Well, Matt, I I can't thank you enough for jumping on today. I'm super confident that a lot of the insights that you shared today are going to provide so much value to other local government leaders. Thanks for pulling back the curtain, giving us some insight into some of the processes and approach that you take. Um, super valuable. I know I learned a lot today. For all of our listeners, uh, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Local Government Insights podcast, Modernizing Government Leadership. Uh, we hope that you all please stay tuned for more local government news and insights to come. We look forward to having you next time. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Local Government Insights, Modernizing Government Leadership. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.